Welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show, where we niche down to a single topic, think about a question, and unpack the rest. This week, we're talking about how does this current market downturn impact diverse founders? And in general, what's the state of the market for early stage founders? We know the doom and gloom. We know the over positive. Is there any rational take in the middle that we should be considering? Thankfully, I'm not alone. I am joined by Mandela S.H. Dixon the newly announced CEO of AllRaise. And she's coming fresh off the annual AllRaise VC Summit. So there's a lot to get to. Mandela, thank you for joining us after such a wild week for you. Right. Um, Well, thank you for acknowledging the VC Summit and all the energy we put into that space to really create that in-person community experience. Natasha, I am honored to be in conversation and get an opportunity to be on your podcast. I am so happy to have you here. I mean, the summit was off the record. So we're going to try getting some information during this panel about what you can tell us and what kind of stood out to you. But I wanted to start a little bit with our personal history because we knew each other when we were both at different jobs. And for me, it was Crunchbase News. For you, it was founder Jim, which actually really perfectly led you to take this new role with Allraise. So maybe tell people a little bit about that journey. Yeah, thanks so much. So founder Jim was created, I think I ideated it in 2017 and our first online cohort launched in January of 2018. But what it was, it was the first online training center for underrepresented founders, Black founders, Latinx founders, LGBTQIA founders, veteran founders, women founders, really training them on the fundamental and also the unwritten roles of raising venture capital. And across 18 cohorts, we helped our founders raise nearly $150 million that really serviced as their first tranche of institutional capital to utilize it as a tool to scale their ventures and really get a swing at bat at playing this game and being the next unicorn. So that's what I was doing before this. And yeah, it was a beautiful segue into now being the CEO of All Race, you know, the largest organization for women in venture capital, both on the investing side, but also the founder and operator side. So I'm super excited. I was going to say this happened last year, your, your transition to All Race CEO, but it was actually just announced two months ago. <laughs> yes. Somehow. Tell us a little bit about your early, I guess, impressions of what you want to do with this role. Um, and then I'll, I'll kind of pivot us to a broader conversation. But I did want to, I, I was always interested in this idea of increasing diversity in something that's mm-hmm. already committed to increasing diversity. Yeah, yeah. You know, diversity can be subjective, though. I always ask people, what do you mean when you say diversity, right? Because sometimes it could be just gender. Sometimes it can expand to be race and ethnicity or nationality. There's many spectrums of diversity. And so one of the things I'm really interested in taking all race to the next level is broadening its definition of diversity and not just focusing on white and Asian women, but also prioritizing historical historically underrepresented women, Black women, Latinx women, Indigenous women, non-binary leaders. And so really that starts at HQ. That starts at the top, really making sure our home base is really reflective of the community we want to service and the volunteer base. And then, of course, the membership. But really, when people look at All Raise, I want them to see it as a place of belonging for them, right? That this isn't just for a subset of women. This is for all women and non-binary leaders in 
in tech. And so that's one of the biggest things I'm very excited to work on. And like you just mentioned, we just came off the VC summit and it was beautiful. beautiful oh my God, I didn't feel like a minority. A, right? <laughs> it was beautiful to enter a space where the optics of that space welcome a wide array of people. And I can't tell you how many individuals came up to me, my team and other people in the organization just saying like, wow, for the first time ever, I am at a tech conference and I don't feel like an outsider, right? That goes such a long way to being a boost of confidence and refueling people to go back out there and do the good work. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely that person too. I, every conference I go to, I run kind of straight to the bathroom or those are more networking events. And I kind of just wait to see another woman there or another person of color. And then mm-hmm. once I find that person, I just kind of hook on to them because they're a friendly <laughs> yeah. face. And so mm-hmm. I love that that wasn't up for grabs as an option for me this week. And I kind of I'm curious now, it's been a few days since the conference. We've had a minute to digest what was said on stage. Can you kind of tell me what the tone was looking at something that's like, I guess, so optimistic as a diverse set of decision makers, along with this market downturn and so much doom and gloom out there? Like, what is kind of your vibe check on this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about, uh, you know, even what you just said about this doom and gloom outlook. And I actually think for women and other racially diverse founders, investors, operators, we don't necessarily have that doom and gloom mentality because we are so used to doing more with less. We are so used to not having access to this influx of capital that we have already adjusted and built muscles and capacity to weather a lot of storms that more privileged founders who have like this never ending, you know, flow of capital and access to advice and insider information. So long story short is that I do think that it's, um, Your experience in relating to this economic recession also is tied to your previous experience weathering storms, whether it was the 2008-9 economic recession and where you were and what you've done to already navigate that when the pandemic hit and how you were in reaction to that. But we as women and as women of color have a long history of weathering storms, right? So this isn't new to us. And so if anything, I think it is at an advantage for investors of all kinds to really double down on the founders who have this muscle and this capacity already. And time and time again, the data shows, right? Even I was remembering about the stat I saw from First Round Capital, who we had several both women and male investors present at the VC Summit this week, how they did an audit of their own portfolio and found that the female founders outperformed the male peers by 63%, right? Right. This isn't an idea. These are facts that betting on women founders continues to provide and service quartile returns. But you will never experience that if you don't first take the bet. And so if anything, I just want to encourage investors of all kinds to understand the value that women bring to the cap table and also the innovation, because they also have a lens into a market and a purchasing power of women that you may not be privy to, right? Women are spending money and women founders are solving problems for women. This theme of burden and who should be the one that is 
promoting diversity, amplifying these people, helping mm-hmm. them get from one stage to another came up a lot in my conversations during the conference. And to me, that's something both personally and then professionally I like to focus on because, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's hard to be the brown girl in the room always advocating for brown women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering what your mood is right now on VC risk, because with all that you said, I agree, these founders are well-suited. But I also have this worry that when we look at the vast decision makers in venture capital right now, I don't need to tell you that they're white and Mm -hmm. male, but they got less risky when they had to pivot to Zoom investing. And now they're getting even more risk averse and saying things like we need to double check our quality of investors, which reading between the lines feels like we're going to see more the same founder kind of getting backed. And so any response there on on how we kind Mm -hmm. of scale the truth you just talked about with this kind of VCs getting less risky dynamic? Mm -hmm. For sure. So I think when we talk about risk and we talk about doom and gloom, and we, it's all fear based. And I always go back to the origin of where this fear started and how this pattern got created in the first place, because okay. that's what investors do. That's their job is that they have a set of criteria that based off of historical data has proven that if they invest in these types of founders, if they invest in these types of companies or these types of markets, it'll yield a certain set of results. Right. So they just keep that re- that playbook on repeat. But one of the issues is that original playbook is based in bias, unconscious and conscious, right? And so what I would say to people who are saying things like, I don't want to lower the bar, right? Part of the issue with that is that you have to recognize that whatever bar, whatever playbook you have, it's steeped in so much bias and so much unfair stereotyping of people that is archaic from decades ago when this industry first started that continues to be repeated and until the people who are in positions of power, including the women who are at in our community, at our conference, you may be one of one at your firm. You may be a first, you may be an only, but still you're at the table. Still you're yeah. around, you're in those rooms that you, that you and I aren't at, right? So we can talk about it as outsiders, but it's really about if you are on the inside, what are you doing with your power and your privilege to help uneducate people about the ways in which they're doing things that don't service the values they say they uphold? And how are you going about the re-education of them? So maybe that may be equipping them with statistics, like the ones I'm sharing on this conversation right now. Maybe that's by introducing them to women founder unicorns so they can actually see we exist, we're here. Maybe it's an experiential, take them to the headquarters of these places. Like part of it is that what I'm really passionate about is equipping the women on the inside of these firms to be able to navigate the conversations that it's going to take to start changing hearts and minds. I think, you know, it's a multi-pronged approach. I think the press plays a role in putting pressure on these firms. I think organizations like Allray's uh, require response to have responsibility to shift hearts and minds. But I also think it's the investors who are on the insides, the women and male allies. We had a slew of male allies present at our conference and who are present and involved in our community who also have to speak up, right? It's not just the onus on the founders or on the one woman at the firm. It really is a collective approach, but I do believe it can be institutionalized and systematized. And that's, again, a future chapter of all race. Yeah, let's actually fast forward to the future because it's a perfect segue. Two of Allraise's goals are one is to double the percentage of female decision makers at U.S. tech firms with over 25 million in AUM by 2028. 
And the other is to increase the amount of seed through early stage funding going to female founders from 11% to 23% by 2030. Are we still feeling good about those goals? And are there any new ones that you want to share at this time? Yeah, so we are feeling good about the goals and trending up. You know, if we were to go different layers deeper in terms of like who's getting access to capital, women-led, like women-only-led companies versus mixed-gender teams, and mixed-gender teams continue to trend higher in terms of their getting access to capital than women-only-led teams. And so there's still work to do about what is it for investors that having a male next to the woman, right, having a man next to the woman makes them feel less risky. Like this is a better bet to make. And that's a conversation that, again, we have to parse out this data and talk about what is really happening. Because beyond the data, these are people making decisions. What you and I are talking about right now, like these high level percentages are a result of a lot of individual decisions that were made. And I do believe in the importance of continuing to put the spotlight on the check writers, continue to put the spotlight on the LPs because really once they can choose to shift their behavior and shift their standards, everyone else kind of falls in line. And I'll give you an example of this if it's helpful. Yeah, when I please. was working at Kport Capital, we launched the Founders Commitment, which was the first ever diversity, equity, and inclusion commitment that we had. And what it meant was that we, the VC firm, the check writer, required that the founders that we invested in would have a charter to bake diversity, equity, inclusion into the DNA of their company. And we didn't just, you know, say, hey, mandate, you must sign this agreement, say you're going to do it. We actually provided support, workshops, resources, consultants to help go on the ground and help them achieve this. But when the powers that be change their requirements of how you get capital, then the founders fall in line. So to answer your question, yes, I am. And we are optimistic, very optimistic, because this industry, industry, it takes five to 10 years to see the results of the work we're doing today. So I'm very excited about what 2032 is going to look like and the conversation we're having there. But in terms of going beyond that, one of the intentions I have in my leadership tenure of this organization is really going and checking in with the people. What are they needing in order to help not just further their own asset within their VC firms, but how can we as a collective band together more strategically to really change these numbers? I'm excited about that because I think, one, we've learned so much during the pandemic that community is the life of every company nonprofit. And they are not quiet about what they need. So it's a good time to be voicing those questions, concerns, and and needs. And I think in that same spirit, I wanted to end with a question before we turn to other clips that we got on the ground of the All Race Summit from investors. I wanted to throw the question that I threw to them to write to you, Mandela, which is right now, how are you playing offense while the general feel can feel like a lot of VC firms and startups are playing defense? Feel free to interpret that how you will. Yeah. How are we playing offense? I I love the question, first of all, because I'm an athlete. So I just love the framing of it. And it's always like, are you taking a defense? 
defensive approach and offensive approach. I feel like taking it just in general, taking an offensive approach or going on offense, going on offense puts the other side on on their heels and they have to be in reaction to what you are doing and what you are committed to achieving. So my uh, natural inclination and my recommendation for others is there is power to being on offense, even in unsettling, uncertain times like the one we're living in. And as a leader within an organization of tens of thousands of women leaders, venture capitalists, entrepreneurs, operators, I fully believe that our superpower and what makes us different is our lived experience as women. We are 50% of the population. We are 83% of U.S. consumption. And fundamentally, founders build solutions oftentimes that they've lived through. That's a personal pain point for them. So when you think about this as an investment, right, if you are investing in women founders, you are potentially investing in solving problems that like 83% of purchasing power is going to go to. So there's a lot of money to be made there. Like if we're just going to talk pure economics, it's a great investment decision. So if anything, we are playing offense. I encourage all investors, both men, women, non-binary to really understand the upside of investing in women who've had a long track record with doing more with less and also have unique insights into serving half of the population who spends (laughs) a lot of money. (laughs) Well, the upside to the downturn is a quote I keep hearing. And I love that Mandela super well said. And thank you so much for joining Equity. I mean, that's all the time we have. I would love to have you back on. And maybe we should just do this as like an annual recurring episode. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much, Natasha. Thank you. Well, that is all. We're going to now turn to the rest of the people we interviewed at the Always Summit. Stay tuned. Hey, Alex. So welcome to the second half of this special edition episode of Equity Wednesday. Good to have you on. How's it going? Uh, I'm incredibly hyped to get through this. We have a lot of fun things to listen to and and react to. I feel like I'm a YouTuber, which means that I'm cool and (laughs) hip and with it, I believe. Hashtag reaction only. I don't know. (laughs) Do you actually watch like reaction clips on on YouTube? I, I do sometimes. I think they're really good when there's video involved, which is maybe a note for us for the future is just like, getting our faces in there because we totally love live recordings of our faces. Well, I mean, it's always funny. I I think the reason why like reaction videos as a general concept work is because often you have a niche interest that you don't have close friends that really share. And so for me, like if I want to listen to like the latest death core hit, I don't have any friends, but I've got YouTubers. Anyways, all that's to say, everyone, we are your YouTube friends today because we have a lot of (laughs) clips. Natasha's going to take us through them and then we're going to have some fun. Yes. So just to reset everyone a little bit, we all just heard from Mandela S.H. Dixon, the recently announced new CEO of Allraise. So we got her take coming off of their recent summit. It's an annual VC summit all about the future and actually right now a lot about how to navigate this market. So I wanted to pull in some clips from VCs that I interviewed actually at the summit itself. The whole thing was off the record, which was hard. So this was like kind of our meet in the middle. How do I interview people while they're coming off stage and are in a good mood of being done was kind of my uh, my strategy there. <laughs> it's a good one because I will say anything the moment I'm done being on stage because your whole body relaxes. Like it's like getting out of a hot tub. You're like, ah, thank God that's over. Yes, exactly. And so I did want to ask a question that felt somewhat evergreen, but also timely. And so I asked four VCs how, or even if they're playing offense while everyone else sees 
seems to be playing defense. We've talked about black swan memos on the show a lot, funding changes. And I know you are also seeing a lot of people just kind of saying pause. You wrote a column about it recently. Well, I, I recycle the same column every 12 days with just new data. That's how I managed to, to stay active. No, I'm kidding. No, you're, you're dead on. It, it is like the question of now who gets to play offense, who is capital, where do you deploy it, how evaluations change. And for founders, if VCs get to play offense, they're probably playing defense. So it's going to be kind of a, a split difference, if you will. Perfect. Well, so to start, let's hear from Heidi Patel from Rethink Impact, one of the biggest US-based VC firms that invests in female and non-binary founders. And it's all about health, sustainability, education, economic empowerment, all things we care about on equity. But let's hear what Heidi had to say. What we're doing to play offense is just recognize that women are going to feel the pinch even more right now. VC is closing ranks. The good thing is we focus on women and women are uniquely prepared to really thrive in this moment, right? They're doing more with less. They're not expecting the world to come up with solutions. So they are super scrappy. They're hustling and we think they're going to build more with less. And so that is our focus. We are absolutely still investing, and we actually think this could be an incredible time to find great companies that might be overlooked by VCs that haven't backed founders like that before. I think what's missing from funding diverse founders is real a commitment and having investors that back you and get behind funds with that strategy and really putting your money where your mouth is. When we started out, we were focused on any companies that had a female in executive suite. We were seeing thousands of businesses like that, so we've refined even further, and now we've focused exclusively on female CEOs, because that's the real power seat. That's who makes the money. That's who sets the tone, sets the culture, builds the team. And with that, we're still seeing five, six, seven hundred deals with that structure come in through every year. So a few things stood out there. One actually echoes really well back to what Mandela just told us, which is that women are going to feel the pinch, unsurprisingly so, with VCs kind of reacting to the downturn with being, quote unquote, more risk averse. I just recall an interview we had with Charles Hudson 88,000 years ago in which he said, in this coming downturn, I'm worried that VCs will close ranks and make more conservative bets, which means people don't look like, look like them. And part of the bore out. And uh, I just feel like we're, we're stuck in some sort of flat time circle. And we've come around again to the same point. What I will say yeah. is it's not like women got as much of the benefit from 2021 as other groups of people. So they were already scrappy. And so perhaps they're going to handle this uh, pinch, to use her phrase, better than other founders. Totally. I think that it's, it's an interesting point that I'm hearing a lot of VCs make right now, especially the ones that are focused on historically overlooked founders, which is like they already have this conservative mindset with capital. Either they weren't already overspending if they did, they were lucky enough to raise, or they never really assume or expect that next round. I was surprised, though, that she said that VCs are closing ranks. I feel like that was one of the more straight up ways I've heard <laughs> Things are changing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people, the moment there's a great shock in the market, they look at their portfolio first. They close ranks around their existing investments. And to be clear, that's relatively reasonable because you want to make sure that your house is in order before you invite new people over to butcher an analogy there. But yeah, I mean, closed ranks does mean, I think for people that are still trying to break into kind of the venture perspective, you know, from venture people yeah. actually seeing them, it's going to be a, a tougher time. Two bits of data that we should probably highlight pulling from a recent TechCrunch story. So in 2021, 330 billion in VC was deployed and only 2% of that number went to companies founded only by women and 15. 
1.6% went to teams with both women and men on their founding teams, according to PitchBook. And the contributor, Mimi Albobaker, said that they think the correct statistic is about the 18%, not the 2%. Focus on mixed gender teams and how does that impact it? Which is probably maybe somewhat a separate discussion, but I think data nuance is is very much our sweet spot here on equity. I'll I'll just say, I I know we need to get on to the next clip, but I'll just say one thing about that number. If you take 100 and you subtract 18, you're left with 82, which is the percent of money that went to all male teams. So you can add the two to the 15 and you get 18 once you round and so forth, but it's still 82% on the other side. So sure, you can make the number look a little bit better, but it's still a trash ratio. A hundred percent. I mean, and that's why I think new capital matters so much more. So I'm excited for our next interview. It's with Jennifer Neundorfer from January Ventures. And they actually, I talked to them a few weeks ago because they had raised a 20 million third fund. And back then, actually, they were like, we're going to help startups navigate the Starwinian moment. At that point, only Hoppin and Peloton had mass layoffs. Fast forward, it sounds like Darwinian was a good way to put it. So let's hear from Jennifer really quickly. Hi, I'm Jen Neundorfer, the co-founder and general partner at January Ventures, a pre-seed and seed stage fund investing in B2B software companies founded by diverse founders. Awesome. And you just raised a fund. So tell us a little bit about that really quickly. Yes, we just raised our second fund. Um, and it's, you know, as our thesis states, it's all to invest really early. And frankly, the founders that we believe are the next gen founders who may have traditionally fallen outside of the, the typical venture networks. And we're really trying to democratize access to capital, open the top of, you know, open our aperture um, and really change the underlying network from which we source and build venture scalable companies. To provide some context, In the back half of 21, we had actually slowed down. So we would typically do about six to seven investments in the back, you know, in in six months. We actually only did two. And that was because we felt that the market was just way overheated. Deals were overvalued. And so we've already almost taken our pause. And, you know, we've seen massive market compression. But now we know what we're dealing with. And our view is that this is actually a really good time to be investing at the earliest stage. And so, you know, we do pre-seed. We're also almost doing friends and family and coming in early and providing that that, that catalytic check because we think great companies are going to be founded now. Um, great companies are founded out of constraints. And we see a lot of great talent that is yeah. suddenly available. And so we actually just launched this launch fellowship to fund ideation stage companies. Um, They may not even be a company yet, but particularly for people that may have just lost their job or may be rolling out and are ready to go solve some big new problem. You know, we have a lot of compassion and empathy for founders right now. This is a hard, hard moment for them to navigate. And there's a lot of whiplash, but we're also really bullish about investing right now. While it might feel like a huge change from where we were six to 12 months ago, it's actually more of like a return to what normal used to be. And yeah. And I think you've talked about the fact that like a lot of this is just sort of the hangover and undoing of the last two years of just hype cycle. And so, you know, I think we're seeing a return to fundamentals, a different pricing. um, And then just also people taking the time to really get to know each other and make sure that the partnership they're about to enter into is one that can sustain. Okay, so I'm glad we got to hear from her because like I said, they recently raised. Alex, what were your first thoughts on this response? Super bold to pull back in the back half of 2021. I feel like that was the thing that everyone's going to wish they had done and very few people actually (laughs) did. It's hard to have discipline during a boom, Natasha. It's very hard. People get caught up in the hype. I remember one time Bitcoin was going vertical and I was like, oh shit, have I actually missed this very important thing? And then it went down again. But like, there's that moment of fear. So a couple deals at the end of last year, accelerating now, putting capital to work. I mean, if you saved your powder, you got plenty of shots on goal. 
Oh my God. When she said that during the interview, Alex, I literally in my head was like, I'm so excited to unpack this with Alex. Like I knew you were going to hear that and have thoughts because it, it does. I mean, first of all, it felt very like affirming not to make it about me, but it felt affirming for it to be like, yeah, not everyone was thinking that up and to the right made sense. Like I feel like we all were kind of had to be this voice of rationale during the past two years. And it felt kind of boring to be like, I wish things were going slower. And then I was like, see, some investors were going slower. We weren't crazy. And so... <laughs> I was excited to hear that they did that. And and partially, like, you know, they didn't say that when I interviewed them about their new fund. And so I don't think that it was necessarily something that they were going to ever be loud about until the market changed. And we have to talk about that, too. Yeah, it's, it, VCs never want to be known for being out of the market or slowing down dramatically because they don't want to miss that one deal that they might jump on. That's super important. Yeah. And so they, you know, it's very good of Jennifer to tell us that now. It's, and I don't mind to be clear that, that she didn't trumpet that she was slowing down, but knowing yes. that some VCs are accelerating. And I would say, especially in categories of, of founders that are, you know, historically overlooked uh, is encouraging. And she has, how big is that fund? $21 million. So quite a lot of capital to put to work. 21 million. Yeah. In the, in the pre-seed and they, I mean, I think just to echo your point, like it feels a little healthy to kind of know that people are still moving. Another investor told me that no one's investing right now. So it does definitely like everyone's disagreeing with each other a little bit. And when I talked to them a few weeks ago about how they're talking to portfolio companies, they were like, we also are hearing lots of mixed signals. So it is this kind of difficulty of like, even if one of your investors is active, if not all of them are, how do you as a founder react? How do you land an extension if only one of your investors is down to put money in again? Yeah. And so if you're hearing from an investor that no one's doing deals, that just means that their close network is not doing deals. That does not mean that everyone is not doing deals. And we are trying to figure out the market. Well, you are, dear founder, and uh, we'll, we'll figure it out together. <laughs> Last question, or maybe more of a thought, is we talked about how it makes sense that she didn't tell us earlier or that this wasn't talked about super loudly until the market started to change. But do you think more emerging fund managers had to probably follow this playbook and we saw a slowdown in smaller investments? Man. Or can Tiger completely crowd the data and we'll never know the answer? So I, I don't know how clean of a data set we'll get. That's something we can we can work on. But my fear is that perhaps some early, some first-time fund managers maybe felt yeah. the need to deploy capital to keep their LPs happy during the height of the boom. Because if you have less of a track record, you have less ability to stand against the current of the market. And I wonder if they maybe over-invested during the craziest bit. That's just me being a pessimist and a worrywart. But at least in the case of, uh, of January Ventures, not the case. Not the case. And we just saw today that Sydney from Precursor Ventures is starting her own yes. fund. And so I saw another example of emerging managers spinning out on their own during this time. I mean, it's a flex and it's exciting <laughs> to be doing that. It's the right time to do it because, you know, you should, when things are bad, try to get money to work. And, you know, whenever the stock market goes down, I always ask, should I raise my savings rate? you know, as a couple. And that's the way that investors should be yeah. approaching the market as well. But let's move on. A dream of a segue, actually, because we're now, to wrap it up, going to hear from two VCs back-to-back -back who had similar strategies when it comes to investing right now. And I think you're going to like some of their quotes. So first, we're going to hear from Jenny Lefcourt, a general partner at Freestyle, which closed its sixth fund at $130 million just in March. And then we're going to hear from Rebecca Caden, a partner at Union Square Ventures and someone that I email all the damn time. So let's hear from both of them. 
I mean, I do love the Buffett quote of when people are greedy, get fearful. And when people are fearful, get greedy. And so we have a lot of we have a whole fresh fund ahead of us. And so we don't need to slow down. And so I plan on investing in this time where other people are fearful. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, we're, we're very open for business. Okay. I'm Rebecca Caden, managing partner at Union Square Ventures. We're a New York-based, primarily early-stage venture capital firm focused on strong businesses with network effects. The goal of investors isn't to deploy capital at the peak. It's to deploy capital at the time of most opportunity and what you know, history has taught us is going into downturns is often a major time of opportunity. It's a time of instability and playing a different game than we've been trained to play, but one that has a lot of potential in it. And so we are leaning into where we think that is. We're looking at our portfolio and looking at where there's opportunity in there of businesses that are strong and are, you know, going to need increased balance sheets through this time and we can be supportive in it. And that's also, you know, helpful to us and them. Um, And also where the combination of business model, team and opportunity aligns well with this moment in time and actively deploying capital into those two. But, um, History shows as investors in terms of, you know, deploying new capital, there's a lot to look forward to here. <laughs> and so we're, you know, we're going to lean into that. And to get it even more explicitly, you are investing through this moment. You're not pausing completely at all. No, yeah. we're definitely investing. We're, uh, we're an investment firm and we will, you know, invest um, through cycles. And, and USV, we always call it a high conviction, low velocity model. Yeah. So our goal is to, you know, continually deploy at a steady pace, um, but not high velocity kind of through all cycles when opportunities meet the thesis that we're going after. Okay, well, we heard from them. These responses felt more like what I expect when I ask investors about how they're acting during a downturn, which is very much business as usual. We will be investing. What did you kind of take away? I thought Rebecca's (laughs) comment was really funny. Uh, We're an investment firm, so we invest. And shout out to her for pointing out the tautology of the question. But it also, I mean, it's also not always true that every VC is investing. And you can tell that because VCs will warn founders against taking meetings with investors who are not actually investing. So it does happen sometimes. Yeah. But they both seem to have the same idea, which is when things are pulling back, go forward. When people are playing defense, play offense. When there's blood in the streets, you buy. And it's, I mean, (laughs) this is standard advice, but it's hard to put into practice. That's the thing. And it sounds like they're both doing it. So shout out. Yeah. I mean, it also kind of fits into what we've talked about before between all of us and like the venture channel is right now a downturn is pretty much good news for VCs in a lot of ways, other than their portfolio companies struggling. The dry powder means that you're going to be getting a lot better terms. And so sometimes it can even feel like they're manifesting. (laughs) Can this impact the pre-seed soon? And I'm kind of joking there, but it it does kind of feel like if everything was perfect, this would be a great time for VCs to keep investing. It only struggles when all your companies are kind of falling apart. Well, you know, having a long-term horizon really does smooth out some of the tension in the ups and downs of the market. So Natasha, you and I are both decades away from retiring, which means that when the stock market goes down, it's actually good for us because our 401k contributions go in at lower price points. I was kind of pissy last year that I spent so much of my hard-earned retirement money at the absolute all-time high of the market when I was kind of like, these prices don't make any sense. But now, discounts. And so VCs with a roughly 10-year horizon for each investment, or per fund, I suppose, there's an element of that. They're not going to come out and say, we love to see a downturn because of what you said in their portfolio companies, but certainly for new deals, you might be able to get more shares for your dollar. Actually, extracting what you just said, like I'm thinking even as founders right now, 
again, in the world where we all have money and the luck and luck of spending that money for founders right now, I feel like it's a few months before hiring actually becomes something that they can afford to do. And it can be like maybe through contractors, maybe in other means, but like salaries are probably going to be coming down too. So there is a lot of like cost saving and benefit and silver linings, so to speak, that happen. You know, I will. So maybe, maybe to bits of that, because the salary thing is curious. Yeah. I, I don't think suddenly the technology talent crisis will end. You know what I mean? So I, I think the pace at which salaries are going up will slow for sure. Yeah. If they come I down, think- that'll be interesting. If you, if you're right, hats off, I'll be shocked, but cool. I'm here to be wrong. You know, it's partially coming from the fact that all these shares that people are adding as part of their compensation are so low that like they can, unless companies start to like give more shares or something like that. I imagine the overall package being low. I guess I'm citing also from like friends. I'm like, oh, your compensation looked a lot better a year ago. So and now it's very I, can I, can I take back my entire answer and disagree with you? Because I hadn't thought of the equity <laughs> side of this. I was only thinking the oh. cash component. And so I was only looking at a, a piece of the pie versus the whole round. And I, I think you're actually right. And this is why we've seen companies, I think it was Coinbase and others actually reset certain bits of comp because share prices have come yes. down so far that people were a little bit unhappy about it. Resets a good is a good word to use. And it, it is kind of like my takeaway after hearing all these answers is like, and the core debate is like, is this going to be just a recorrection? And like, we're back to a normal state of being from the offer side to the hiring to how much VCs are investing. Or was there like kind of this massive recorrection and venture will never be the same? Well, I, and, uh, I venture will eventually get itself back into a similar frenzy, right? That will happen again. Now, it takes a number of colliding factors to get a 2021 market put together. But at the same time, it won't be the last time that we see a peak. We have historically seen peaks and troughs in venture capital activity. And people love to talk about how the best companies are founded during the bust periods. And oh you know what? Okay. I've heard that from every single VC for years. So let's see who's really putting the dollars to work. And it does seem that Jenny and Rebecca and Jennifer and Heidi are all doing this and shout out to them. But I'm going to be curious to see how many VCs can actually live up to that own piece of advice. Amen to that. The last thing I'll add is that I want to be surprised. Like, I think what you said was perfect. It's like everything VCs have told us. I've heard like way too many wartime CEO versus peacetime CEO metaphors being thrown out. We're only in the and second so inning of the like, wartime CEO to allow us to play offense, but there's blood in the streets. It's just an, an analogy mess or metaphor mess. I know. I'm like, uh, let's just stop. But also, <laughs> I my, my reporter heart is very much like, surprise me with an insane program where you're allocating this percent of people to people who are laid off. I know January is doing something like that, but like I would love to see VCs kind of stand out right now, especially if you're emerging, especially if you you know don't have the red tape of too many LPs so far. So that's what we're watching. And I don't know, it's, it's good to hear some hope amid this time. Yeah, well, I mean, I've talked to Ginny Lefcourt for a very long time. And so I, I've always held her in very high regard just as a very intelligent, thoughtful person. And so I'm going to be curious to see kind of not only how much capital she puts to work, but also just where she deploys it. So like for me, this opens up kind of some good reporting angles to keep track of mm-hmm. people and kind of what they do next, because we now have them on the record saying that they're busy. So let's see what they uh, put on the paper, you know? Yeah. Now this is just becoming like a one-on-one between both of us. And I love when the episode gets to that. Cause I'm like, yeah, we should collaborate yeah, we should, on that. Can we get a doc going? Can we like, you email her first. I'll call her assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining this episode. Always. Thanks for having TechCrunch. I know that it's a weird event for reporters to be at, but it's super fun to be able to be a fly on the wall and we will be back every year that you have us. Yes. And also Natasha, thank you for, as always, going out and bringing new and interesting stories to the pod. 
You really, really oh, broadened thanks. our lens, and I'm thankful for it. Thank you. Thank you. If everyone listening likes reaction episodes, let us know at Equity Pod. If you don't, don't let us know. Yes, if you don't, we're gonna shut do up. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you on Friday. Bye, guys. 